great to be together, isn't it? It's great to be uh, catching up with people, and we would love to do that as well. After the meeting, we'll be serving tea and coffee, and uh, please do stick around for that. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and those of you who've been here for some time uh, will know about will no doubt be expecting me to be digging into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, seeing as I've spent the last two years getting to the end of chapter four. Um, but as I've been thinking and praying about it, I thought we'd have another two years in here. Um, as I've been thinking and praying about it, I've been feeling not to continue into it even um, for a while. Although I will reference it today, just for anyone who are, who's missing it. Um, interestingly, um, I've been very struck recently um, by the story of Jesus calming the storm. And, uh, and then Debbie, my wife, spoke about it at the women's meeting, independently of me thinking about that. And I think Jerusalem referenced it as well. And then the worship this morning and the words that were brought, I'm like, okay, I think this is definitely what God's wanting to speak to us about uh, and get our attention. In what I'm bringing this morning, I have to um, credit a leader, a uh, church leader called Brian Mowry, uh, for many of the insights that I'm going to bring. Um, what that basically means is if you don't like it, blame him. Um, Brian leads one of the New Frontier Sphere of Churches, and I heard him speak on this message, on this passage, while I was in Vancouver and uh, on our sabbatical, and it really impacted me. Um, so I've kind of taken the basis of that and reworked it some, but anyway, just wanted to credit him. The story of Jesus calming the storm is found in many of the Gospels, a number of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, we'll be looking at it in Matthew 8 and also Mark 4 and 5. When you put them together, you get a little bit more detail about what's going on. And uh, we're also going to be looking at what happened just before the calming of the storm and what happened afterwards, because then we can see the full context of what it was about. Um, I'm going to pray before we start, because Jesus has some very challenging things to say in this passage. It's not an easy passage, uh, if we're really going to take seriously what Jesus says, and we need to pray that we have ears to hear it. So, Father God, I just pray, come by your Holy Spirit right now, and I just pray, um, you know, your word says to some, Jesus uh, you are like a precious stone, and to others, you're like a rock of offense. And I pray that this morning we will be able to hear your words and hear even the hard, challenging things, and we will be able to find precious jewels this morning in what it is that you are saying to us, and that we will not uh, find you a rock of offense this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The headline in this. Uh, in this passage really is about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, in my Bible, uh, in Matthew 8, verse 18, which is where we're going to start in a moment, it says, the cost of following Jesus. But really the whole passage up to the end of um, Matthew 8 is all about following Jesus. As Christians, we often refer to ourselves as followers of Jesus. And I wonder, though, sometimes whether our definition of what following Jesus is, is a little different to his. We have a dog uh, called Lola, and we've had Lola for six years now. And right now, she's a pretty obedient dog, especially with me. Um, she will listen to what I say. She will do 
what I say. If I ask her to come, she'll come. Um, if I take her for a walk, she'll generally do what I ask her to do. But when we first got her, it was very different to that. We didn't actually take her for walks. She took us for walks. And she would pull on the leash. She would drag us along. Uh, if she saw a squirrel or another dog, she would just go crazy and try and break free from the leash uh, and run after it. I remember my son Josh when he was a lot smaller than he is now uh, a few years ago. Came in one day after after walking her, and he said, "Oh, she saw a squirrel, and then she pulled me into a ditch." <laughs> you know, Jesus says to his disciples, "Follow me." By extension, he's saying to us, "Follow me." But what does that mean for us? Who is setting the agenda? Is Jesus setting the agenda, or are we setting the agenda? Am I wanting to follow Jesus where he goes, into his mission, or do I want to pull him into what I want to chase after? We have to realize that Jesus is leading us somewhere. Every encounter that we have with God, with Jesus, leads us somewhere. He's taking us somewhere. Every encounter in the Bible that anyone has with God actually leads to mission. God always wants us to do something. It's not only about having a great time with God in His presence, worshiping Him. Although that is so important, and we love to do that. We love to do that. We've got to keep coming back to Jesus to worship Him, to be in His presence. But encounter with God always leads to mission. Moses encountered God at the burning bush, and he was sent to go and set His people free from Egypt. Isaiah encountered the awesome presence and holiness of God in the temple. And then God said, Whom shall I send? And he responded, Here am I, send me. Fearful Gideon encountered God in a wine press, but God wanted him to destroy some idols and to defeat the Midianites. Paul encountered God, the risen Lord Jesus, on the Damascus Road, and then he was sent on a mission to preach about Jesus to the Gentiles. Encounter with God will lead us to mission as well. It will lead us to mission with God. It may be God calls you somewhere different. Maybe God calls you to move to be on mission with Him. It may be God calls you to serve Him and minister to people here with the church, some ministry in the church. It might be God's calling you to minister to your neighbors like Becky was talking about earlier. But as you encounter God, He will call you on mission with Him. He will. And as we look at these passages today, we're going to see three things. There's an invitation from Jesus to follow him. And there's a showdown with demonic forces. And in the middle, there's a storm so great, we think we're going to die. Sounds like a lot of fun. But as we'll see, we don't need to fear. But we do need to be aware. Okay, let's get into it. We're going to start Matthew 8. We're going to read in three chunks, really. Uh, so, first of all, we'll start at verse 18 in Matthew 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me 
that's what it says. Where is the own dead? Alright, the first thing we see in this passage is that the enemy tries to stop us getting in the boat with Jesus. Okay, we battle the world, the flesh, the devil. We've looked at some of these in previous weeks. Actually, Gary was looking the other week at how uh, we stand for Jesus in the world. And, and the world systems um, can, can oppose us. The flesh opposes us. Our, our, our desires, we just want an easy time of it. And we have the enemy of the devil. Uh, uh, the devil opposing us as well. And that's what we're mainly going to focus on here. And the first thing the enemy tries to do Really, it's stop us getting in the boat in the first place. Jesus gives orders to his disciples. Orders, it's a command. He gives orders to his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. They're going to get into a boat. Jesus is the one setting the agenda here. This is where we're going, guys. We're going across the lake. Come on, you're coming with me. He'd been teaching and healing people in the Jewish area, um, but now. He's wanting to go over to the other side of the lake into a new area. It's one which would have been well out of the comfort zone of his disciples. It was an area called the Decapolis. It was mainly a non-Jewish area. These Jewish disciples of Jesus would probably have never even been there before. And a teacher of the law comes to him and says, Oh, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, Oh, foxes have den, birds have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, okay, follow me, but it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some hard times ahead. Well, presumably, Jesus did have somewhere to sleep in Capernaum, where he'd just been, and in Nazareth, when he was growing up. But he was going somewhere where there's a lot more uncertainty. He wasn't going to a friendly area. It wasn't as though he was going to be able to call on someone he knew and say, can I sleep here for the night? So, as he was going into this area, it wasn't going to be easy. And it wasn't going to be an easy ride to follow Jesus. Many of us hear God's call on our lives, Jesus' call on our lives. But the enemy tries to use that lack of certainty and that lack of security to stop us going where he's leading. It's not easy because we love to surround ourselves with security. We love to be comfortable. We love to be secure. We love to have a plan. We love to know what's going to happen. We want job security, financial security, family security, being with people who we know and love, our friends. When we moved to Canada, we moved to Ontario, first of all. And when we moved from the UK, we sold our home, we left our job, and we moved to a place we'd never been before. And we didn't know anyone there. We didn't know anyone where we were going. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't have a credit rating, so it wasn't easy to rent. We didn't have access to Medicare. We didn't have access to child benefits. I tell you, there was a strong temptation not to get into that boat. Strong temptation not to get into that boat. And it, was, and it proved to be a far from easy time. It's a battle to even get into the boat. Whatever that is for you, whatever your boat is, whatever Jesus is calling you into, because you'll be going out of your comfort zone. Another man came up to Jesus. This one's described as a disciple of his. 
and he first asks, he says, first let me bury my father. And, and that might seem like a perfectly reasonable request. A perfectly reasonable request if his father's just died. But most commentators point out that actually, if his father's just died, he's not even going to be there with Jesus at that point. He would have had to make all the arrangements for the funeral. It's more likely his father was getting on in years, maybe aged, and there was a strong expectation that, oh, no, you're not going to go over, over somewhere else, you know. You've got to stay close to home. You can't go over to this area. You stay close to home. You've got to care for him. Maybe stay until he passes away. But who knows how long that would have been? Maybe a few weeks, months, years? Jesus' response here is strong. And it's actually pretty offensive. You've got to be real about it. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1, tells us, Once we were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which we used to live when we followed in the way of the world. We used to be dead. And Jesus says, okay, let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. This is weighty stuff, and we genuinely have to wrestle with it. But it's the words of Jesus. Don't let them be a rock of offense. But this is example aside, the reality is this. Family expectations can prevent us from following Jesus. In the equivalent passage in Luke's Gospel, just before the storm, his disciples come and they tell him, Oh Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here and they want him to see you. And again, he's quite offensive. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Back to this passage, we've got to realize this was a disciple speaking to Jesus, it said. No one was a teacher of the law. This was a disciple speaking to Jesus. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're in the boat. The first thing the enemy will do, and he does it all the time, is to distract us from the central purpose of our life, and he will use anything to do it. And he'll use our family if he needs to. But reality is, not everyone who's a Christian gets into the boat. The enemy distracts us, and he robs from us what Jesus has for us. All right. Told it was tough. So what happens when we get into the boat? Okay. Doesn't get better. Jesus takes us. Jesus takes us into the storm. Let's read Matthew eight twenty-three to twenty-seven. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of men is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right, Jesus, uh, verse 23. It says, Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Matthew, in saying that, is pointing out this passage is about following Jesus. It's about following Jesus. Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. 
and a furious storm comes up on the lake, and the waves are going right over the boat, completely being swamped. Now, these are experienced fishermen. They're experienced fishermen, but they knew their lives were in danger. I mean, they thought they were going to die. This was a legitimate storm. It was a totally legit storm. A serious storm. And we have legitimate storms that happen in our lives. Legitimate storms. Terrible storms that go on in people's lives. Right now, right now, I know a number of you who are going through some serious storms in your life. Serious storms. Tough things that you're going through. I mean, it's not just like you're having a bad day. It's not just like the coffee's run out or someone was rude to you at work. People are dealing with awful things. There are terrible things that have to deal with sometimes. And especially, actually, if you're following Jesus. Because as we get into the boat, storms will come. As we get into the boat, storms will come. Jesus led them into the storm. And what does God do in these storms? He sleeps. He sleeps. It's a little insensitive, really, isn't it? I mean, we've followed him. We've given up our security. We've offended our family. And now we're in the middle of a storm in which we wonder, are we even going to survive? And God's fine. Fight to sleep. And the disciples just concludes he doesn't care. In the, in the passage in Mark chapter 4, they wake him up and they say, don't you care if we drown? That's what they say. Don't you care? Don't you care? They think he doesn't care. If he cared, he would do something about it. They just want the storm to end. We just want the storms to end. We wonder sometimes, does God even care? So they wake Jesus up. And what does Jesus do when he wakes? Well, he does, in the end, rebuke the wind and the waves and still the storm. But before he rebukes the storm, he rebukes the disciples. <laughs> he doesn't rebuke them for disturbing his sleep. He rebukes them for disturbing themselves with their fears. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? It's like, Jesus, come on! Hard words from Jesus. We want Jesus, we just want Jesus to get rid of the storm. But Jesus wants to rid us of our doubts and our fears. Angela talked about it this morning. How we can we can be in a place where we say, we're lacking in faith. But Jesus sees that. And the fact is, Jesus in our lives, he often addresses us and our fears and our lack of faith before he addresses the storm. And, and we see this in other places as well. In Mark chapter 9, there's a there's a man who comes to Jesus with his son, and his son is, is kind of possessed by this. This demon, this 
spirit is being tormented by a spirit, and it throws him into fits, the son, into fits and convulsions. And the disciples have tried to do something about it. They've not been able to do anything about it. So this man brings the boy to Jesus, and as he approaches Jesus, the spirit throws this boy into a convulsion, and he's convulsing, and he's foaming at the mouth in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? This is going on here. And Jesus turns away and he looks at the man and he starts a conversation with him. How, how long has he been like this? Really, Jesus? I mean, like, <laughs> does it matter? <laughs> how long has he been like this? You would have thought he could have saved the questions till later. The man, the man says, well, from childhood. Uh, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But look, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. There's kind of an urgency here in the Father. And Jesus goes, everything is possible for one who believes. <laughs> the Father urgently explains, I do believe. I mean, Help my unbelief! It's like desperate. Only then does Jesus deliver the boy and set him free. Before he deals with the pain, he deals with the person. He addresses the person's soul. Everything's possible for one who believes. And he addresses the disciples' faith in the boat. The devil will try and tell you that when you're going through the storm, God doesn't care. That's what the devil wants you to believe. When you are going through that storm in your life, God just doesn't care. Jesus mustn't love you, or he'll do something about it. He mustn't care. He mustn't be good. The devil is an opportunist. An opportunist. He just needs an access point into our life to begin to throw seeds of doubt about how much Jesus loves us. To throw seeds of doubt about our worth. We begin to drift distrust other people. We get angry. Ephesians 4, 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. And then it says, Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. That's a military term, actually. Don't give the devil a base of operations. Don't give him a place to launch attack after attack after attack on us. Truth is, Jesus does love us. He showed us that at the cross. It was the ultimate demonstration of his love for us. And that's what we always have to come back to in times like these in the storm. People often talk about oh, spiritual warfare. What, what is spiritual warfare? Well, I'm going to give you a summary of Ephesians 6. Don't need to preach on it. And it's on Ephesians 6 tells us it's about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. It's as simple as that. And it's believing and knowing that God loves us despite everything we're going through. We believe the truth, the belt of truth. We know we're declared righteous. We stand, stand clean before him. It's quite right. Carry the peace in our hearts, the gospel of peace, the seeds of peace. 
faith in Jesus, field of faith, behold the field of faith. We know we're saved, we're saved. We have a helmet of salvation and we wield the word of God, the sword of the spirit. That's how we fight. That's how we fight. It's the armor of God. That's spiritual warfare. If we keep going, if we don't keep going back to these things, we will not stand in the storm. We won't. I'm not saying it's easy. Wars are not easy. And to be honest, the father's response in that story I just told was enough. I believe, help my unbelief. It was enough for Jesus to turn and heal the boy. Because even a faith as small as a mustard seed is going to move those mountains that we were talking about. Jesus just needs some faith. He wants to restore our faith in him in the storm. So the bruised reed who will not go. So, first, the enemy tries to stop us getting in the boat and following Jesus. Then, when we get in the boat and the storms come, the enemy tries to undermine our faith in Jesus. He mustn't love us. And then, when we get to the other side, we begin to see what it was that Jesus was trying to achieve and what the devil was trying desperately to stop. We're going to read this in Mark, Mark chapter 5, in verses 1 through 20. This again comes straight after the storm in Mark. They went across the lake to the region of the Gethsemanes, which is in the Decapolis. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus saw him from a distance, he ran and fell onto his knees, the man, in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him go, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Okay, they get to the other side of the lake, to the region or the territory of the Gesserines, and Jesus is wanting to involve the disciples in expanding the territory, to see his kingdom extended out of the Israelite region and into the region of the Gentiles. He's on a mission. And straight away, this demonized man runs up to him. He lived in the caves, and he just, or tombs, he lived with the dead. 
and he's not able to be bound, and he just every day, every night and day, he cries out and he cuts himself. Some of us do the same thing. We might be in our own tombs. We may be physically cutting ourselves, but otherwise we might be cutting ourselves with words and our thoughts. Nobody loves me. Nobody's ever going to accept me. I can't let anyone see what I'm like. falls on his knees before Jesus. But he's not worshipping him because what's going on is a bit of a... The demons are kind of bargaining with him. They're negotiating with Jesus. Um, they're trying to set the agenda. Demons try and set the agenda. Jesus isn't having it. What is it that they're wanting from him? It seems like they've got no issue with being sent out of the man. They're not arguing about that. They don't care, really, about being sent out of the man. But verse 9 says, They begged Jesus again and again not to be sent out of the area. Not to be sent out of the region. Not to be sent out of the territory. You see, the devil doesn't want to give up his territory. The devil doesn't want to give up his territory. See, the disciples had gone through this storm for a reason. Jesus was after new territory, enemy territory. And Jesus takes us through the storm for a reason too. Because if we're truly following him, we're seeking to possess territory that's been occupied by the enemies of God. Especially the territory that you've been taken into, that's the that you're getting in. Your new territory being occupied by enemies of God, not the people, by the enemy, by the devil. And you're there to bring light and life. And it's the same with others. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's encouragement, isn't it? The church will be built. But it's the honest truth that in building this church, we're going to come up against the gates of hell. If we seek to expand our territory, or Jesus' territory, into there, we should expect to come up against the gates of hell. We're looking to plant the church into the Halifax Dartmouth area. We should expect to be going through a storm, storms, and we should expect demonic opposition. We're seeking to build a church here in Fredericton, reaching some of the darkness in our neighborhoods. We should expect fierce storms. And the attack might come in all sorts of different ways. Sickness, issues with family members, temptations. The devil will use anything he can to take away our influence, to get us to back down, to prevent us taking the territory. Because, you know what? The enemy knows he can't have you. Did you know that? The enemy can't have you because you belong to Jesus. The enemy can't have you. But he can thwart your effectiveness. 
he can rob you the promises that Jesus has given you to walk in, he can try and steal away your righteousness and your peace and your joy, everything that the kingdom of God can bring. He can't have you, but he can try and get a license. If you stay where it's comfortable, actually, the enemy will probably leave you alone. If you get into the boat and you cross into new territory, all hell will break loose. The devil is perfectly content with you attending church on a Sunday once every few weeks and just living your life like everyone else lives their life, focusing on your family and your kids and the activities and summer by the lake or whatever. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But first of all, the devil's going to distract you from getting in the boat, and then he's going to send the storm, and then when you get where you're going, the enemy has to leave. He knows that. He's going to try and prevent you from getting to that point. You are under attack for a reason. And you need to know it's not personal. It's not personal. It's not about you. The demons didn't care whether they got sent out of the man. But they cared about the territory. And they care about whether you are going to be effective in your life or not. Some of you have been under attack all of your life. Even early on, the enemy sent things your way. He might have sent rejection in your life. He might have sent addictions. He's gone after your confidence in God. He's gone after your kids. But he's done it because he knows God has plans for you to walk in. Territory to take for him. And, and we can think, oh, it's all about us. It's, 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 all about, it's not all about us. The enemy wants to take our eyes off Jesus and focus in on ourselves. But Hebrews 12 says, no, fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what Jesus did with this man. Oh, there's all this is all going on here. Jesus said, no, no, look at me, look at me. Right, so, that's what he did with, in the storm. Okay. Peter, on the water, look at me. Hebrews 12, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Run the race of endurance, throwing off the sin, everything that easily entangles us. Seek his kingdom first. Brian Murray said, we called to pick up our cross, not our mirror. It's not personal. It's about you being a witness. It's about you stepping into your gifting. It's about you making a difference in the life of others. It's about you seeing Jesus come into the lives of those people and seeing the enemy flee. The gates of hell will not prevail. Let's go back to these demons trying to make a, de- a deal with Jesus. We don't want to leave the area. Send us into the pigs. Incredibly, Jesus agrees. But they go into the pigs. And 2,000 of them run over a cliff and they drown. Even if that meant the death of the demons as well. It seemed as though the enemy's plan had worked. Because what happened was the people of the region see that the man's set free from demons, but they also hear about the pigs being drowned. And that was their livelihood. You know, these pigs were their livelihood. And so they start to plead with Jesus, just leave us alone. 
to leave our region. We don't want you here, Jesus. We don't want you here. Go back to your own home. And Jesus did. He left. And the devil probably thought he'd won. Just like he thought he'd won at the cross. When Jesus was at an end. But he hadn't. He discovered that soon enough at the cross. Just a few days later. When Jesus was gloriously raised again. Sometimes it seems like the enemy has won. Things happen in our lives and the lives of those we love and it appears like God has not prevailed. It looks like it's all over. It's all fallen apart. Again, we see that in the Bible too. Just take Joseph. Everything went wrong for him. But at the end of it all, he said in Genesis 50 and verse 20, that all these things that had happened, God had intended for good for the saving of many lives. For the saving of many lives. In our life group this week, we heard someone tell the story of a really horrific thing that happened to them. And they said, they wish it had never happened, obviously. But they say, now they can look and they can see how God has used that. And God is using that to help others. God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. We wish these things had never happened to us. Many of us have got stories about that. We've been through things and we just wish they'd never had to happen. God will use them for the saving of many lives. Because ultimately, it's not about our happiness on this earth, although He does bring us peace and joy and His wonderful presence. We have an eternity with Jesus where all of those things will be gone. All that pain will be gone. He's using us now to save others. I bet as the disciples were going back in the boat with Jesus, they were thinking, well, what was all that about Jesus? I mean, wow. We risked our lives in that storm just for one guy. One guy. And then the town turned against us, and now we're heading back. It's not about But it wasn't about them. It wasn't even about that one man. Mark 5.18 tells us the man begged to go with Jesus and the disciples. Interesting. A while earlier, Jesus was asking people to get into the boat with him, and they were like giving all the excuses not to. This man's desperate to get in the boat with him, and he says, no, you stay. Go tell your own people about what God did for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man did stay. He went and he told the people in the area about Jesus, and the name of Jesus was proclaimed in all of that territory. And a little while later on, and we read about it a few chapters later in Mark, Jesus comes back to the Decapolis area, and he meets the Syrophoenician woman, who's full of faith, audacious faith in Jesus. Jesus says some tough things to her as well. And people in the area are healed, and they're set free. This one man has been busy. He's been a witness to Jesus, and there are many outside of Israel that come. It was all part of God's plan to build His church, to extend His kingdom, and the gates of hell did not prevail. So, what's 
God giving you? What's his call on your life that the enemy wants to stop you walking in? Because you've got a call on your life. If you don't know what, some of you know what it is, and you know what all these distractions and opposition is about. Some of you might think, I don't even know. Just ask him, what's his call on your life? And once you know, let me ask you, are you being distracted from it by other things? By sin? Maybe even good things that hinder us, that we have to throw off, busyness, work, sports, or the big thing in this passage, family expectations. God's calling you to throw all of them off, get in the boat, and follow them. Or maybe right now you feel you're in the boat, and you're in the storm, and you're being battered. You're being battered by what's going on in your life, and it's causing you to fear, and it's causing you to doubt whether God even cares. Jesus, this morning, wants to lift you straight in your arms. And he wants to encourage you as you fix your eyes on him. Maybe you've had things in your life and you feel like right now you're in the team and you're cutting yourself and you're listening to the voice of the enemy day and night. You just you listen to the voice of the enemy and you tell us something great. God wants to set you free this morning. people who need to respond to this this morning. You know, Jesus calls for a response to him. And as I was thinking about this, I thought there's at least four things, and it might be more. And if you feel you need to respond to more than this, respond. It doesn't have to be this. But if you need to find courage to get into the boat, You're in the storm, and you need to find faith again in Jesus and peace in your heart. We'd love to pray for you. And if you're being oppressed by the enemy, and you're just beating yourself up and cutting yourself with your words and thoughts, we want to pray for you. Or if you just want to respond and say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you lead. I'm not going to ask you to come out and say publicly what it is you've come out for. You may want to tell someone. But I'm going to ask you to respond. So why don't we stand together? In a moment, we're going to respond and we're going to sing.
that. I'm not going to ask you what it's for. But I know that there'll be many who do this stupid You can just keep coming, you see, as I pray. For those of us who are, are so uncertain about even getting in the boat, Lord, give us that courage. Even when others won't understand. Thank you, God. We're going to just worship as people have come forward and responded. I was just going to say, people who are um, regularly with us in the church, who are maybe leaders, but others as well. Come alongside and just pray for some of these brothers and sisters. You can ask, you can ask if they've got anything. 